You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to CXMH. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am one of your hosts. And I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Robert Bohr. Hey, Robert. Hey, Holly. (laughs) On today's episode, we talk with Dr. Amy Marshall about how to be a trauma-informed community um, and a number of other topics as well. But before we dive into that conversation, Robert, how are you doing today? I am good. Yeah, I'm. Mm. uh, you and I were just talking. There's just lots happening, a little bit of a hectic time with Mm -hmm. kids' sicknesses and other kids' spring break that doesn't align mm-hmm. with anything and so just a lot of moving parts over here but there's been lots of good in it and some and obviously some some challenges there so but yeah doing doing well overall how are you doing yeah that's yeah i'm i'm doing okay i know like you were saying we just talked about this a little bit before and i know some of those unexpected shifts and pivots and all the words that we hate <laughs> after <laughs> The last two years um, have kind of been woven into this week for y'all. And um, just from, you know, our conversations, it sounds like y'all have been juggling it with as much grace as you possibly can move through this these days. But I'm glad to be here chatting with you. Yeah. Yeah. And excited about this episode. And I was doing some editing earlier today, actually, and uh, it just reminded me of of how much I enjoyed this conversation. So yeah. Yeah, me too. Amy was an amazing guest. Um, and I know we, we were lucky enough to get to chat with her a little bit before and after and just, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed this conversation. But yeah, I, I know this week has definitely been, you know, I hear you. It sounds like we, you know, definitely have lots of tabs that are open, kind of keeping with a the theme of, uh, <laughs> not to like completely like, you know, destroy that analogy, but yeah. it just seems like it's very consistent each week. Um, yeah. so I know I'm definitely feeling it as well. Yeah. Just kind of still taking it all one day at a time. So, but yeah. I know we're going to try to keep this intro short cause I know there's just lots of juggle in all the spaces. So, any any thoughts or reflections before we shift into our conversation with Dr. Marshall today? No, I mean, I just, I appreciated her coming on. She's someone that I've gotten to know primarily through Twitter and, mm-hmm. and spaces like that. Um, and so having her come on, this is one of those interesting conversations that didn't stem from a book or anything like that. Just, I knew that she was doing a training coming up related to a lot of these things. And so I said, hey, mm-hmm. do you think, would you be willing to talk about that in kind of a community type setting? And she said, yeah, sure. And so we kind of, you know, workshopped that. Um, and those ones are always fun, I think, because they're a little, they're, they're less structured. There's less of kind of a roadmap, which I like yeah. having authors on as well. But, you know, it's always, it's always fun because um, it's someone who isn't doing that a bunch of times in a row for a new book or anything like that. So, you know, yeah. I, I appreciated that. And um, she's great. She's very fun. And um, like you said, we chatted for, for a long time before and after. And so, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, what about you? Yeah, no, I I mean, like I said, I just um I love the opportunity to connect with her both before and after and um and and a lot of the content that she does dive into in this conversation I thought was so relevant for, you know, anyone, whether you are a mental health care provider, a faith leader, or, you know, just someone kind of navigating life at this intersection. Um, I thought that the some of the conversation that we had around 
um, you know, being a trauma-informed community, but also talking about, you know, adverse childhood experiences and like um, how we move through those as adults and think through those and, re- and heal from them. And, you know, all, each of these layers, I just thought were so relevant. Um, she had some great practical advice uh, for us, especially as we think about it within communities. And yeah, I'm just excited for our listeners to get to hear from her today. So yeah. so I will, in honor of the fact that all the tabs are open and we're going to try to keep this one a little bit shorter today, um, yeah. we can go ahead and shift in. So um, here is our conversation with Dr. Amy Marshall. Enjoy y'all. Hey, today we are so excited to be joined by Dr. Amy Marshall. Dr. Marshall earned her doctoral degree in clinical psychology from the University of Hartford in West Hartford, Connecticut. She completed her pre-doctoral internship through the National Psychology Training Consortium and her postdoctoral residency at Family Psychological Center, PA. Dr. Marshall has been in practice since 2016 and works in the Child and Adolescent Therapy Clinic with Sioux Falls Psychological Services, providing assessment and therapy treatment to clients ages two through college. She also provides ADHD assessments through ADHD Online and therapy services through Spring Health and Carmichael Psychology, LLC. She's certified in telemental health and is the author of books like Telemental Health with Kids Toolbox, I Don't Want to Be Bad, a CBT workbook for kids, parents, and the professionals who help them, A Year of Resiliency, Armani Doesn't Feel Well, a book to help sick kids. And this is what I was going to tell you, Holly, before. Um, I've actually texted mm. Holly pictures months ago oh. of your coloring book. Yeah, uh, that's your, your, The right. snarky coloring book that's for right. uh, yeah. therapists, which I quite enjoy. Which is called, oh, I should have grabbed it. It's in my stack over there. It's about to get real unprofessional. Is that yes. Right? Yep. Yeah, oh my so, gosh. Uh, that's so shout funny. that out. Yes. If you're yep. a therapist yep. and you want a, a snarky coloring book, that yes. I, I highly recommend. Um, yep. It's, <laughs> it's on Amazon, but there's a printable version on Etsy. Um, also, I need to, I just realized I need to update that bio. Um, Dr. Carmichael and I uh, are uh, collaborating on some some other things, but I um, I haven't uh, been doing the the therapy with her clinic at this point. I got to update that. Oh, there you go. Uh, fair enough. Uh, in uh, her spare time, she enjoys reading, making jewelry, and writing. She's licensed to practice psychology in Montana, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining Thank us. You. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. Is there yeah, anything uh, that I didn't mention in that bio that our audience should know about you? Uh, covered most of it. Uh, I am I, I'm working on another telehealth book, <laughs> uh, and oh. in progress for uh, clinical documentation uh, with working with children, adolescents, with you know special considerations for ethics, confidentiality, uh, etc. Yeah. Uh, and uh, recently diagnosed with ADHD, so I'm you know, of course, uh, hyper-focusing on that and learning a whole bunch about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome. Well, that we're awesome. so excited to have you on today. And within the wide, I mean, I feel like there's mm-hmm. so many things that you do that we just talked about, but you do <laughs> mm-hmm. some other trainings as well. And yes. one of those was kind of the impetus for this conversation. Oh, yes. So mm-hmm. uh, we're talking today about becoming a trauma-informed community. Mm-hmm. Has that training happened already? 
No, that's uh, that's going to be in April uh, and then a possibly another run of it in June. Uh, I'm still waiting for confirmation on that. But basically, uh, that's through PESI. Uh, it's, it's a trauma-informed lens for uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy gets a lot of uh, kind of the, the press as the quote-unquote evidence-based and, you know, because the, there's a lot of research behind it, which, you know, there's a place for that. Obviously, we want to we want to help our clients in, mm-hmm. in ways that's going to help them. But the problem with evidence base is when you're researching something, you have to control for all these variables, which when you're with an individual in a session, they're not they're not a group of variables that you're studying. They're, mm-hmm. you know, a whole human. So it was uh, my, my training is how do you balance this this uh, evidence-based practice with the whole individual human in front of you and what they need um, and then taking that, that trauma-informed lens with it. Yeah. Okay. Well, for professional, for, mm-hmm. you know, clinicians who are interested yes. in that, uh, we'll, at the end, we'll link to all your website sure. and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but today we're we're talking kind of a, a broader idea, right, about becoming mm-hmm. a trauma-informed community. And it feels natural to start with kind of the most fundamental question, which is when we talk about trauma, mm-hmm. what do we mean? Because I think for a lot of folks, maybe we, we think about trauma as uh, just kind of the quote unquote major things, right? But how do we understand trauma? Like when you when you talk about that, what are we talking about? Sure. And it depends. It's less about an event and more about uh, a lot of it is what happens after. Uh, So when it comes from a clinical perspective, when we're talking about things like post-traumatic stress disorder, um, a lot of the mental health stuff is less about the traumatic thing that happened and more about the support that the person receives in the aftermath. Uh, There's also not really a right or wrong or a specific, you know, the same event for two different people can have a completely different impact uh, depending on the person's history, depending on uh, you know their their perception. Uh, something that objectively might seem like a more dangerous thing to live through, uh, someone maybe might not might not realize that they had been in that much danger, or they might have you know the social supports following that they feel very protected or rallied around things like that afterwards. Um, so it's it's very nuanced, and there's not there's not a set right or wrong. I mean, there are obviously events that were like okay, that would be <laughs> incredibly stressful or traumatic to live through. Yeah. Um, but there's not like a set, this is trauma, this is not trauma, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, no, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, and I know trauma is, you know, it is, it, mm-hmm. you know, in a lot of ways we hear this word quite a bit mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. that's and that's a very good thing that we're hearing mm-hmm. it a little bit more, right? Yes. Um, and understanding trauma-informed care. Yes. We're starting to hear that a little bit more, but I know that mm-hmm. it can sometimes be used like as a buzzword. And so mm-hmm. can you kind of talk a little bit about trauma-informed and like what that sure. means? Yeah. Sure. So trauma-informed just basically means taking an approach that uh, is aware that there is there are a lot of people who have experienced trauma. Um, I, I know it kind of gets used with kind of that buzzword, but I, I will say nobody wants to be traumatized. Um, there's not really this, there's not really benefits to saying, oh, you know, I, I have trauma. So mm-hmm. um, I, it's not something that people are going to say like, hey, I'm traumatized. So, you know, treat me this way or whatever. Um, if anything, mm-hmm. I notice more people who objectively have been through things that 
would be defined as traumatic are more likely to say, well, it wasn't that bad or other people have been through worse. There's more of a tendency to want to distance yourself from it. Um, I I hate that, that other people have been through worse, by the way, because I mean, of course they have. (laughs) There's always somebody who's been through worse. Like that's, there's 8 billion people in the world. Like I'm very unlikely to meet the one person who has the most extensive trauma history of all 8 billion humans. Right. Um, but uh, th- so the trauma informed care is is just recognizing that you don't know who has trauma. And sometimes sometimes, you know, like I said, nobody wants to be traumatized. So often mm-hmm. they don't realize that it's trauma or don't feel comfortable labeling it trauma. So mm-hmm. it's essentially taking that approach of if the person I'm interacting with doesn't have trauma, it doesn't hurt them for me to be trauma informed. But if they do, I could make their experience better by taking on that that approach. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. seems, I mean, when we talk about like trauma informed, obviously mm-hmm. care, but then mm-hmm. I know uh, I've seen it talked about in education circles mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat today we're, we're also going to be able to kind of speak to like as a, mm-hmm. as a community, as a faith community, it seems a little bit like a, I, I picture it kind of like a lens, right? Like if you're looking mm-hmm. through this lens, it's right. helpful to know some things, right? Just to have mm-hmm. that kind of framework in mind yeah. as opposed to uh, well, only people who uh, have kind of these six major events count or anything, right? Right. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's more the underlying philosophy. And I mean, there are things you can do to be more trauma informed, but it, it's less of a, if I do X, Y, and Z, I am trauma informed and more of a approach to interactions. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm. So when we're thinking about things that when we talk about, again, trauma as kind of this broader perspective and things, I know one of the things that gets talked a lot about Mm -hmm. is adverse childhood experiences and how those factor in. Can you uh, unpack that a little, obviously, for – so maybe I should have mentioned this right up top, right? Our audience Mm -hmm. tends to be like maybe a third mental health clinicians, a Mm -hmm. third faith leaders, Mm -hmm. and then a third just individuals who, Mm -hmm. you know, themselves, their family members, their friends, right? They're interested in kind of how these two worlds kind of overlap. Mm -hmm. So – for that kind of broad audience, sure. uh, yeah, talking a little bit about adverse childhood mm-hmm. experiences and like why that why that's worth, you know, what those mm-hmm. are. Yeah, sure. So um, adverse childhood experiences, or we call them ACEs also just as the acronym, um, is uh, comes from a study by uh, Kaiser Permanente, a very long term study of what types of stressors in childhood correlate with things later in life related to trauma. And I, I will say there has been some criticism of that study. Uh, for example, there was the request to add uh, racial trauma as an adverse childhood experience, uh, which I, I think absolutely makes mm. sense. Um, yeah. But the researchers felt that that didn't count. So there are there, there are some limitations to the study as far as it's um, being culturally informed and, and being you know broadly applicable in that sense. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I kind of see it as a good starting point. So basically, they studied these different factors that contribute to issues later in life uh, and the things that are considered adverse childhood experiences or like childhood, like trauma sort of things include if you are uh, physically abused, uh, sexually abused emotionally abused, uh, physically neglected, emotionally neglected, losing a parent to death or abandonment, um, having a parent be incarcerated, um, having a parent uh, using substances, uh, you know, a, a substance dependent substance use disorder, 
there's a couple more. I believe there's nine altogether. But basically what they had found was that once the threshold is about that, if you have four adverse childhood experiences or more, uh, you're at higher risk for developing different mental health diagnoses, not just uh, PTSD specifically, but depression, anxiety, eating disorders, um, also health conditions, diabetes, heart disease, and a shorter life expectancy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things mm-hmm. that I think uh, breaks down uh, kind of this the siloing of like mental health is different than physical health or whatever, right? Because we mm-hmm. see things like that, and there's obviously sure. there's other studies, but the idea that go mm-hmm. undergoing stress over long periods mm-hmm. of time or traumatic things that you even just said, mm-hmm. you know, high risk of heart disease, diabetes, yep. right? And I think we see that mm-hmm. all over the place with like mm-hmm. you know higher rates mm-hmm. of self reported loneliness has mm-hmm. a lot of those same kind of health, you know. And so I th- I always find that type of thing really interesting in terms of breaking down some of the like oh it's just in your brain type you know Mm. i mean your brain your brain is an organ so you know your mental health is your health and if you anybody who's ever experienced any kind of anxiety can describe what that feels like in their body you know my heart started going Mm -hmm. faster my stomach was cramping up it's very mental health is very physical experience so Mm -hmm. yeah yep Well, y'all, I know Robert Mm -hmm. and Amy, you both started Mm -hmm. kind of getting at this a little bit, but I would be curious to hear, you know, how, um, as we think about as folks, you know, grow older um, Mm -hmm. and have had these, you know, adverse childhood experiences during their youth, like what are some ways in which these past experiences could continue to impact folks Mm -hmm. in the present? Like what are some ways that perhaps our listeners might be, Mm -hmm. you know, wanting to pay a little bit more attention to you know, how certain things that experience they experienced in their past are showing up now. Sure. And I'm so there are the, the like health kinds of things I talked about. But the thing with mm-hmm. uh, having these experiences in early childhood is if you think about it, young kids are learning how the world works and what to expect from the people around them. So if you get someone who at age two is experiencing neglect, whether it's there's there's not enough food, housing instability, um, emotional neglect, things like that. Basically, one of the first things that that child is learning is the people around me are not going to take care of me and are not going to get my needs met. Mm. And it's very difficult to unlearn something when it's one of the first things that you know. So Mm. you you, you grow into adulthood and not necessarily consciously sitting down and thinking, I can't trust people, but that that's basically the lesson. I can't rely on people. They're not going to be there for me or they're not going to follow through or be reliable. So it can really affect, you know, attachment and relationships in that way. uh, Because like I said, first thing that they learned is people are not going to, people are not going to follow through on what they say they're going to follow through on. So, um, or you get that, the, the anxiety response, um, anxiety is, adaptive. We don't want to have zero anxiety because that's mm-hmm. that's how your brain lets you know that you're possibly in danger and need to take steps to take care of yourself. Most anxiety workbooks will have the early humans living in the cave and the, they give the example, they're like, the saber-toothed tiger shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, the humans <laughs> yeah. who survived are the ones who were like, oh no, scary, and run away. And right. the ones who are like, mm-hmm. oh, whatever, it's probably fine, got eaten. So it's adaptive. <laughs> it's, it's in our DNA <laughs> uh-huh. to be like, 
you know, danger, get anxious. And that anxiety helps you survive that dangerous scenario, that running away from the saber toothed tiger. But again, when your earliest experience is the thing I need to do to not die today is be super anxious all the time. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, it got, it gets you through the trauma, but it is very, very grating to be feeling that way all the time. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And and right there, we talked a little bit about obviously some of those adverse childhood experiences, but trauma that we experience later on can shift some of that as well, right? Like it, it's not all yes. purely childhood stuff. So mm-hmm. things that you experience as an adolescent or even as an adult mm-hmm. or whatever, like all of that can right. can shift some of those things as well. Yep. I mean, and the good thing is that you can you can work to shift it back too. like, no, it, you know, nobody's beyond getting support, getting help in these things. Um, it's, it's just sometimes harder with the younger kids because they don't know anything else. <laughs> but yeah, you yeah. can, there's no age limit. You can, unfortunately, you can be traumatized at any age. Yeah. So yeah. when thinking about maybe how this can look for people, the way it influences actions or behaviors or anything like that, like even a general sense of do I feel safe, right? Because as you were talking about mm-hmm. kind of the how how uh, how safe I feel or how kind of on high alert I am and things like mm-hmm. that, right? Um, does that look different across ages? So I'm thinking about if if folks are listening, you know, we have I know we have listeners that are youth pastors or mm-hmm. that are college ministers or that work with adults or lead small groups for mm-hmm. uh, elderly or right. Like, does that sure. are there differences kind of across ages? Uh, I mean, there can be uh, with with little kids. You can often see it play out in how in the play behavior. Um, so they might have those kinds of themes in there. It's it's really a lot of it's very individualized, though, that each person kind of expresses it in their own way. Um, the, the tricky thing is you can't you can't always know just by looking at someone. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I'm if I'm uh, someone mm-hmm. who says, OK, I'm trying to kind of have that lens mm-hmm. sure. without maybe a specific list of like, OK, well, these six mm-hmm. things equal you've had trauma. Right. Mm-hmm. Are there right. kind of ways of looking at things or, mm-hmm. um, you know, approaching things with kind of curiosity as opposed to sure. instant, you know, this is horrible behavior or whatever. Right. But is there mm-hmm. kind of a general posture to have? Sure. And I mean, with with the trauma informed posture, the, the great thing is you don't have to know whether the person has trauma to. To be trauma informed when interacting with them. So it's it's okay if if you don't if you can't tell if you're not sure what's trauma, what's not trauma. But basically that approach uh, that kind of kind of like you said the curiosity approach thinking in terms of behavior is is to get our needs met basically instead of um, I, I hate the term attention seeking um, but basically it's it's what need does this person have that they're trying to get met with this behavior uh, we talk about it a lot with kids but I don't I don't think there's an age limit on it because we don't always realize especially when we're acting out of trauma we don't always realize that what need it is that we're trying to get met because you don't always realize, you know, like I said, that anxiety response got the need of surviving the traumatic experience met. So you kind of then learn, okay, this, (laughs) this helped me survive. And this isn't conscious learning like in school. It's, it's that kind of automatic, this got me through, therefore, you know, we're going to keep doing it that way. Um, And, you know, there's an expression, your, your brain, is uh, supposed to keep you alive, not happy. And so we do get that automatic, this this kept me from dying, so let's keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering too, like not only, I mean, I know a lot of what we've been talking about too is mm-hmm. like how does this relate to like ourselves and like mm-hmm. how we have navigated uh, maybe past experiences, but mm-hmm. um, I do, and, and this, to some degree a little bit of others as well, but I do want to really think about like, mm-hmm. what are some things that you would share around like, how do we how do we be a little bit more sensitive mm-hmm. to those folks who may have navigated layers of trauma like this and are acting out of that, you know, mm-hmm. survival mode? Sure. Yeah. So um, like how to be supportive or how to recognize yes, that's happening. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for, <laughs> it's okay. yeah. 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 Like how to um, be supportive of, sensitive to mm-hmm. um, maybe move into that space. I mean, mm-hmm. you've been talking about the curiosity piece. And sure. So, you know, maybe that weaves into it too, mm-hmm. but yeah. Yeah. And some of it is also recognizing in yourself what your like what response maybe you are feeling pulled towards. Um, so we, we've got to know ourselves pretty well as as well, because we all have mm, yeah. not not everyone has trauma, but everyone has you know, negative interactions. In, yeah, you know, yeah. You, you've talked to some at some point, I'm sure someone was not very nice to you. So it could if they're say feeling, you know, I need to protect myself. And so I'm lashing out that could bring up, Oh, you know, someone was rude to me in a similar way in the past. So kind of noticing, okay, this is bringing something up for me, but taking a step back and regulating for yourself to, to kind of bring it back to, okay, what's going on for you right now? What exactly, (laughs) what's, what's coming up for you? What are you Mm -hmm. experiencing and how do I kind of come alongside that and support that? That makes that yeah. makes good sense. Yeah. yeah, I really like paying attention to what's going on within us too. Yeah, and maybe seeing how perhaps others' struggles might be pointing us back to work yeah. that we have to do too. Right? right? Yeah. yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> I was going to say I'm glad that you brought that up too because I that was I. I was thinking that I hadn't prepped it in the questions, but as you were talking, sure. I thought, oh yeah, we should probably talk about what about for myself, like how how can I be sensitive to my own mm-hmm. past experiences, right, whether I right. want to label them trauma or not, or, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, in thinking about, so some of that is kind of, you know, when I'm interacting with an individual, some things, you know, right there that we've talked about, but are there ways we could help our communities, larger scale than one-on-one interactions, be more trauma-informed? So things like you know, things to do or say during kind of large gatherings or events or, you know, groups, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that? Sure, sure. So, um, like, what to to say, like, in a a larger kind of lecture or speech or? Yeah, things like that. Or, like, ways to, uh, Mm -hmm. like, if you're creating an environment that people can come into in a large group Mm -hmm. setting, are there things that Mm -hmm. we should keep in mind or any of that type Mm -hmm. of kind of larger scale things? Yeah. Um, I guess one thing can be kind of giving people the option to take a break or take some space if they need to, or having space for people to step away as they need to. Um, the tricky thing about trauma is that anything could be a trigger. You know, you get, uh, for example, when I do when I do with my training, we'll do a lot of helping kids learn, you know, regulation and relaxation techniques. So when I'm starting to feel worked up, how do I bring that down? And they provide us with a lot of scripts for that. Um, But they said, you always have to check because, for example, the the facilitator worked with a child who uh, a trigger word for that child was relax. And 
pretty much every mindfulness script out there has the word <laughs> relax in it. So yeah. they, they were like, for this child, mm-hmm. we've got to make sure we're going through and changing the language and adapting it to them. But obviously that's, that's hard to, you can't very well go through every single group of people you interact with and right. say, Hey, what's every single trigger word you have so I can avoid it. And a lot of people, if they don't, uh, label the experience as trauma, or if they don't recognize the the symptoms within themselves, might not even know what those triggers are. So just giving the space to step away kind of as they need to um, and have that be that non-judgmental, okay, I need a minute and that's okay. Um, the, the sensory friendly kind of spaces. So, um, not, uh, super harsh lights or too super loud of noises, uh, things like that. Yeah. A lot of that mm-hmm. seems like mm-hmm. sensory type things or, or just yep. offering space mm-hmm. and making sure yeah. people know, Hey, mm-hmm. if you need, you can, mm-hmm. you know, head over there or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it is interesting that you talk about the, the idea of like, how do we, because I think sometimes this is a little bit of the tension, right? Is like, mm-hmm. we want to be sensitive to right. everybody's individual things, but how do we do that without then saying, mm-hmm. okay, we can't like, we have to take a, you know, a, a community-wide vote on every piece of language or, mm-hmm. you know, like that, It mm-hmm. there's a tricky line mm-hmm. there sometimes of how do we, right. how do we do that while still doing what we need to do, right? Right. And people's needs can can contradict each other. I mean, for example, I know I mentioned I, I have ADHD. I don't sit completely still. I, I fidget. I have to, you know, I, I wiggle. I, I move around quite a bit. And I, you know, I need to be able to do that to focus, you know, back way back when, when we did our staff meetings in person, I would, I would bring fidgets to, I mean, I didn't know I had ADHD at the time. I just knew (laughs) that I didn't like to sit still. So I would bring fidgets to the Mm -hmm. staff meetings and I would sit there and I'd be fidgeting or doodling or whatever. And I have colleagues who needed to not be sitting by me (laughs) because (laughs) I needed to, I needed Uh to wiggle to stay engaged in the meeting, but they needed to not be sitting by someone who's moving for them to stay engaged in the meeting. And it's, you know what, that's, that's okay. It's, you know, my need is opposite of theirs. So they just sat, they just didn't sit by me. And that was okay because then I could move and I didn't have to feel bad that my movement was bothering someone and they could focus the way that they needed to focus. So it's the, it's a lot of it is that flexibility and that creating space where people can have the option to, to get, to like do what they need to, to get their individual needs met because needs will be contradictory. You know, for some people, you, we talk about sensory things. Some people are very sensory avoidant is what we call when it's like, you know, I want the lights very dim. I want it to be very quiet. Um, but some people are more sensory seeking that they want the the louder sounds or the, um, you know, that, that they, that they want more sensory input. So, you know, you mm-hmm. try to uh, have a variety of options and people can just choose. Yeah, I think of churches that have the, the, do they still call them the crying rooms where people with infants can and then if the baby's crying oh, it's not yeah like yeah. It, i don't know that they call them crying rooms sure. but infant yeah 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 infant yeah. rooms yeah uh-huh. yeah um and so you know that that there's kind of that if you if you need a space where you can make noise without disrupting people here's where you can sit and still be a part of everything um and if you don't need that here's where you can sit and still be a part of everything so kind of like that but instead of just being you know do you have an infant yes or no it's kind of what just just what are your needs for the space 
Yeah, that's really good. I I really appreciate mm-hmm. you um, being willing to use yourself as an example too mm-hmm. with your recent diagnosis with ADHD yeah. and the example that you mm-hmm. offered with like having colleagues who, mm-hmm. you know, some colleagues like it's fine if you're yeah. fidgeting right next to them and others are like actually like I, I can't focus right. when there's fidgeting right next to me. And and I know that there's even times mm-hmm. for us individually, so not just between mm-hmm. us and others, but even within us. So like mm-hmm. maybe there are times for you where fidgeting is what you need in that mm-hmm. space. And then there are other spaces mm-hmm. that you're in where fidgeting may not be the thing that you need. And right. I don't know. It's just, I just appreciate the complexity and your willingness to offer your own example like that. I yeah. it, I really appreciate that, Amy, Thank you. a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I recognize too that, you know, as Robert was saying earlier, we do have a number of listeners who are, you know, faith leaders mm-hmm. or in some type of faith-based settings. And so I'm curious, mm-hmm. you know, like it, for those who are listening to this conversation and want to keep learning, are there any resources or books or podcasts or trainings that you would want to recommend specifically for like that group who may want to learn a little bit more about about what we've been talking about today? Sure. So um, I do know of uh, two books that are specifically for uh, for pastors and for those faith leaders. Uh, one is uh, Trauma-Informed Pastoral Care, How to Respond When Things Fall Apart. Uh, and that author is Karen McClintock. Uh, that actually was just released this month. Um, I, I have not read that one, but I've heard huh. good things. Yeah. And then a little bit, uh, one that's been out for a little bit longer, uh, it's called Bearing the Unbearable, uh, Trauma, Gospel, and Pastoral Care. And that's Deborah Von uh I, I've only read her name. I have not uh, heard it said out loud. Uh, Deborah Von Dusen Hunsinger, I believe. I, I'm probably said that wrong. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, that's okay. We'll put we'll put both sure. of them in our uh, show notes sure. though, for mm-hmm. listeners to access them. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess my my kind of last question is if if I'm in because we talked some about. Mm-hmm knowing what's happening within you as well. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious about maybe the idea of having a trauma-informed kind of lens towards yourself and and sure. knowing – because that's so hard, right? You even mm-hmm. talked about people not wanting to label their own things. And mm-hmm. obviously when you are in a kind of emotionally – like when, when things are mm-hmm. happening to you that are causing all sorts of kind of reactions, sure. right? That's hard to – sort through because you're in kind of survival mode oftentimes, mm-hmm. right? So right. do you have any advice for folks on kind of – taking that that introspective look and mm-hmm. saying, okay, what happened right there? How do I like, mm-hmm. you know, do I need to tie that back to, oh, well, that that reminds me of in third grade when someone dumped yogurt on my head, right? Like, does, mm-hmm. does it need to be that specific or can it just be, look, here's how I tend to move about things and so uh, I can work with that? Sure. It, it doesn't have to be that specific because, you know, especially with the adverse childhood experiences, uh, if the experience happened early enough, you might not have a conscious memory of it. I, I mean, even one example, um, a study of people who were living in Manhattan on September 11th, 2001, um, the, the, there was a study that followed uh, the, the babies that were born of, of people who were in Manhattan during those attacks. And even if those babies didn't experience any ACEs as they were growing up, 
uh, many of them still develop some of those trauma mm-hmm. kind of responses, that hypervigilance. So that was even, you know, pre-birth in within the womb, they experienced the stress, you know, the, the cortisol hormones going on around them before they were even born. So obviously that person is not going to say, oh, this is, this is bringing me back to, to when I was in the womb and there was a terrorist. They're, they're not going to, they're, they're not going to have a, a conscious memory of that, but they can right. recognize, oh, these things cause, you know, my heart rate goes up when this happens. I feel very anxious in, in these situations and kind of just recognizing, okay, this is bringing something up for me. I, what do I, how do I take a step back? How do I deal with that? And just not, um, easier said than done, but not, not shaming yourself for it. You know, we're all human beings. Mm -hmm. Therapists get this a lot of, oh, but I'm, I'm a therapist. Shouldn't I have all this under control? Well, you're a therapist, but you're still a person. So it's, I think it's the same with uh, with pastors. You're yes, you're you're the faith leader, but you're still a human who's going to have human responses to things. Yeah, I love that. And thinking about it broadly, mm-hmm. in terms of emotional reactions or behaviors, or mm-hmm. you know any any of that type of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So you work. I I lied. I have um, one more question that I want to sure. ask. Um, <laughs> But you work a lot with children, as we mentioned, and we've obviously been experiencing kind of a worldwide uh, traumatic event over the past two years with Mm -hmm. with COVID, right? Are you seeing anything, uh, because this is a question that I think a lot of people have, anything Mm -hmm. related to COVID with children or, I mean, just people in general that, that you see? Sure. And I mean, the that's still emerging research and everything. But I, I've been saying this whole time that I feel like any child, you know, pretty much anybody under the age of 18 in the last two years should get a plus one on their ACEs score for, you know, mm-hmm. living through COVID. And um, I mean, a lot of kids have lost parents or aunts or I mean, it's it's not it's there's it's never happy when someone dies, but it's not super unexpected to lose a grandparent before you turn 18. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they're losing multiple family members, they're they're losing parents, they're losing, you know, that there has been a lot more death and a lot more grief, um, as well as that ongoing anxiety. It's it's adaptive for kids of a certain age to believe if mom and dad do everything right, I will be safe. And it can be traumatic to realize that that's not true before you're emotionally mm. ready to handle that reality. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kids mm. realized, oh, my gosh, you know, mom and dad had absolutely no control over this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, th- I feel like that's been hard for yep. a lot of adults to wrestle with kind of that lack of control. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're aware of kids. it, but yeah. we don't, you know, we kind of repress it a lot of the time. Yeah. I'm very aware that I have very little control over the world around me. But until two years ago, I did not have to think about that. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's so good. Um, well, one of the questions that we mm-hmm. love to ask our guests um, is knowing that you are mm-hmm. pouring your heart and soul into this work, um, into the, the books that you've written mm-hmm. and, you know, the trainings that you're doing and, and more. I'd love to hear, mm-hmm. you know, what is your hope for this work as you mm-hmm. continue to offer it up for others? Sure. 
I mean, in a perfect world, uh, my job would be obsolete. That would be nice. I don't know that that's realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess not. Com- well, yeah, yeah, because my my main areas of specialization, I do a lot of the trauma work and the uh, working with survivors of trauma. And then I also do a lot of uh, with the the neurodiverse as as kind of so ADHD, autism, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and ADHD and autism, they're not necessarily like you need to be fixed, but society is is really built for neurotypical brains. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in, in a perfect world, society would be set up that that different you know, neuroatypical, neurodivergent brains would thrive without needing any kind of support or things like that. So perfect, perfect world. I would be retired and there wouldn't be (laughs) need for psychologists anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Be hanging out with Armani somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the great thing with working from home, though. I get to do that. Yeah. So he he loves when I he loves when I'm at my uh, my work desk. He sometimes tries to uh, heard me over to it on days like on Sundays he'll he'll try to like guide me over to my desk because he likes to sit in my lap uh, not right now I think he's hmm. uh, I think he's sunbathing but uh, yeah he'll kind of show up and just curl up and fall asleep in my lap yeah. at my desk yeah Aww. well mm-hmm. listener if you want to connect with Dr. Marshall you can find her at resiliencymentalhealth.com facebook.com slash Dr. Amy Marshall that's M-A-R-S- C-H-A-L-L. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twitter at Dr. Amy Marshall. You can buy uh, her books on Amazon or wherever you buy books. And we'll we'll toss links to those upcoming trainings in the show notes as well. Um, I'll, I'll grab those from you afterwards. Sure. If you want to connect with Holly, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at hollyoxhandler. You can connect with me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robertvore. Amy, thank you so much yeah. for joining us today. Do you have any closing yeah. thoughts for our listeners? Um, I think just the big theme of continuing to be gentle with ourselves because we're not really we're not really out of the stressful time <laughs> and we don't know when it's going to be. Um, we're, we're coming up on, uh, you know, I, I know for me, I'm seeing in my Facebook memories, the first talks of social distancing mm-hmm. in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I'm I'm yeah. just thinking, oh, you know, I, I miss when I thought it would be over by now. Um, so it's, it is a particularly challenging time of year now because we are coming up on the anniversary of, of when we all thought this would be done in two weeks and the anniversary of the two weeks when it wasn't done. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com.